Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. An awesome Saturday in College Hoops, people. There were six ranked-on-rank matchups, which tied the all-time AP poll record. And so we wanted to make sure we got you this pod earlier than usual on a Sunday. I'm Matt Norlander, of course. That's right. GP not starting this episode. GP not on this episode. Kyle Boone is with me. If you are watching on YouTube, hello. Please contribute comments, questions. We are early on Sunday. So... For the Temple fans that might be checking in, or the Houston fans, you might be thinking, oh, no, he's going to do it again. They're going early. They're going well before Houston's got to go on the road and play the Owls. Oh, oh, oh. Here's the deal. We're going to give you a mailbag episode as well. So that's going to hit your feet on Monday. But I'm going to record that mailbag episode later on Sunday night. So if Temple does beat Houston for a second time, and if anything else relevant happens later on Sunday, I will address that on the bonus mailbag episode that you're going to get gp's just uh he's away this weekend taking care of some matters so kb how you doing man great to have you back great to be here shout out to gp um awesome saturday in college hoops very excited to break down the slate saturday was a long day i know you were in studio all day i was uh i did not leave that building until 131 in the morning yeah full disclosure we we were trying to tape on Saturday night. I'm very glad that we did not because I crashed pretty much as soon as you texted me, go to bed. It was a long day. Uh, full slate of games from like 11 o'clock my time to Gonzaga, St. Mary's, which finished at, ugh, it was late. It was late, but it was a great day of college hoops. Lots of upsets, lots of buzzer beaters. A lot of action. So, um, yeah, we got we have a lot to discuss for sure. Yeah. And you know what? It was a, it was a top-heavy Saturday. Like, a lot of good ranked games. But really, as I was looking over the rundown for the show and I was, as I was basically talking about this stuff on HQ throughout the afternoon and evening, uh, there were like, you know, there were like 12 to 13 games of, like, real interest. We had, There are some Saturdays where I can look at a look at a slate and, and find something. There's an angle that, uh, that I'm intrigued in with, like, 20 to 22 games. There wasn't that, but there was... Obviously, plenty at the top here, and we're going to talk through a ton of them. We were going to try and get you, yeah, we were going to try and surprise you, maybe uh, capitalize off the momentum of that Saturday night stuff. But Gonzaga St. Mary's was just so wild, and we will get to uh, we will get to that in just a second here. I, we got to start right off the top. 
Indiana 79, Purdue 74. The Hoosiers getting a huge win and doing so, I think, in a way that is important for their big picture. Because Trace Jackson Davis is tremendous. 25 points, seven boards, five blocks, and they were man blocks. They were, <laughs> he was tremendous. But to me, it's more like Jalen Hood Shafino and what he did. And he had two of the big buckets down the stretch there. He finished with 16 and, and four and a pair of steals. He actually had an awkward, weird fall on a breakaway that in the moment, it was right as they were going to, I think, the under eight TV timeout. And Braden Smith was closing in. You couldn't even tell if he actually made contact. There was no foul call. And you're like, oh, no, please, no. And he came back in. Huchifino didn't miss a, a beat. He didn't miss a second. He hit a bucket coming out of the coming out of the TV timeout off the elbow there. So he played well. Indiana was at 1.2 points per possession. Uh, your biggest takeaways, your thoughts on what we saw go down in Bloomington uh, in a packed house and obviously a humongous rivalry game there, Kibini. Yeah, Indiana's legit. And I think coming into this weekend, I, I think people were maybe off of them because right they lose they lose to Maryland and everyone's like ah well maybe we we got ahead of ourselves in in crowning Indiana as like the second most potent Big Ten team. I still am in on that. I, I think Purdue's in a, in a class of its own. Obviously, they they just lost on the road to Indiana, but Indiana to me is is the team in the Big Ten that I think has the most realistic chance of making a real run this March because outside outside of Purdue, obviously, because they have two stars. Trace Jackson Davis has been, for the last month, I think probably the second most productive and best player in college basketball, not named Zach Eady. And then Jalen hood Shafino was fantastic in this game, had 16 points. And, they, and basically after the game was listening to Trace Jackson Davis talk about kind of how the game went and, and how they were able to close out and, and kind of hold off a late uh, Purdue run. And Jackson Davis was basically like, I I had the first half and hood Shafino had the second half. And it's like hood Shafino was able to, to, to close the game out for them, had some huge buckets down the stretch. And you're right, there, there was a stretch there where it's like, oh man, is Hood Shafino out? Like, is he going to miss the rest of this game? Is he like going to miss time? And then just, no, he's, he's fine. He's, he's tough. He comes back in and, and is huge for Indiana down the stretch. His emergence the last couple weeks combined with Jackson Davis just taking things to a new level like this Indiana, Indiana team is very, very fun to watch. And I think we're seeing kind of the ceiling of this team. Uh, as MJ might put it, like the ceiling is the roof for this, for this Hoosiers team. They're, they're really, really good. And obviously beating a number one Purdue team. Um, this, this is a, this is a very dangerous team. And I think is, is only getting better as we, as we get closer to March. I think I'd buy that. Um, Indiana is going to take a few more stumbles. No doubt about it. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube again, hello. Thank you. And I see some good questions in chat in there and we'll see if we can even mix in some of that. We'll also try and be breezy here. There's a lot of games to get to. So I'm going to try and kind of move this along and not stay too long on one single game here. But on that box score that Nada just had up, a few things jumped out to me. Indiana had 11 steals. Indiana was able to keep up in the paint overall paint points. Purdue had 44 IU had 40. A lot of teams are not going to have the presence down low like a, a TJD, you know, and Edie had 33. You know what? I'm Foster. I'm excuse me. Fletcher lawyer went for 12. Uh, you know, Braden Smith didn't have a good game. He only had four points, one of eight. He actually had a turnover late in the, I mean, Purdue got it down to one. Indiana dropped 50 in the first half and then Purdue actually composed itself well and it got to a point where I was thinking, yeah, Purdue could easily win this game. There was a moment that was shared widely on Twitter 
afterward, where Braden Smith was basically asked about his turnover, which, you know, helped Indiana clinch the game. And uh, I want to show that video for you right now. Obviously, if you're listening on audio, you'll hear the clip as well. Nada, bring that up if you could. Well, the play right before that, I saw Mason in the corner. He was wide open, and he was there open again for a split second. I just held on to it too long, and he got there. Just to clarify, uh, that was one play, obviously, in a big moment, but every play is big in a game like this. Um, I had too many turnovers in the first half. Um, I didn't come out with the energy I needed. Um, obviously, that's a big play, and people might look at that, but you can point out three or four plays by everyone that could have um, – made up that one possession. So it's not just on him. It's on the entire team. It's a nice moment from Zach Eady. And having the chance to have sat down and talked to Eady for essentially close to an hour last week, and uh, if all goes well here, I'll have a, a feature up on him later this week at .com. Um, it was a really quick but accurate encapsulation of what Edie's all about. It was a, it was a really nice leadership moment. Edie's not an, an, a tremendously outwardly vocal kind of guy, but he's got a, he's got a quiet way about, uh, about being a leader, and that was a really, really good moment for him. Um, after, you know, he, he once again dominated. I mean, what, <laughs> what do you want? Like, he goes for 33 points, 18 rebounds, three blocks, and he was 15 of 19 from the field. So it, Purdue losing, I, I take nothing away from that. Like they lost. They, it was a tough opponent on the road, whatever. Pur- Purdue's won 13 of its past 16 games against Indiana. Indiana was due for a win. Okay. So all credit to the Hoosiers for getting that kind of win. And by the way, playing defensive well enough where Purdue had 16 turnovers. That was the second most it had in a game this season. Um, and a reminder about rebound margin and why, first of all, a lot of people, thankfully, in the basketball community, and Ken Pomeroy and John Gasway really helped lead this charge about a decade ago. Rebound margin is a dead stat. Purdue out-rebounded Indiana in this game, 38-22. Rebound margin does not reflect whether or not you played well in a game or you had the capability to win a game. Purdue dominated the rebound margin. That's not what it's about. You want rebound rate or, and how that correlates to how accurately you're shooting from the field there. So, Edie did well. You did have some, some fresh moments from Braden Smith. You'll probably have more. No big, you know... No big drama from that with Purdue. They lose. They're still got the best resume in the country. They're still number one in GP's top 25 and one. So it goes for IU. You get a good win and you get a You get an affirming win that you can show up and play well against basically almost any, any team in the country. And if I was an Indiana fan, I would feel a bit more confident, not chesty, not boastful, not guaranteeing it. I would just feel a bit more confident that we can make a run in the tournament. We can win a couple of games with this roster because in Hood Shafino, you have a Robin to the Batman that is Trace Jackson Davis. Any more thoughts off this game, KB? Yeah, I'm going to hit you with a trivia time right off the bat. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Full disclosure, I have no trivia times in my holster. And yeah, I've got a few. So the first, that's Indiana's first win over an AP-ranked number one team for since, um, since February 2nd, 2013. Mm-hmm. Which, team, which team did Indiana beat? That's a good question. Uh, instantly, when you say that, my mind goes to Michigan because they made the Final Four that season. That's correct. It was Michigan. Five Indiana players scored in double figures. Can you name? Can you name three of them from 2013? From 2013. In that game, five IU players scored in double figures. That's right. Who was on that Indiana team? That was Zeller. Um, he led the way with 19. Uh, Oladipo, I'm almost positive was on that team because that's the team. That's the Indiana team, 2013. I'm all that is the. Is that not the IU team that got the one seed and got dropped in the Sweet 16? I think that is that year. I'm almost positive. 
I believe you're right was, because they're on the right team. Best team. Yeah, yeah. you're. I think you're that right. is. Um, all right, Zeller Oladipo. I will say Watford because it's a year after his shot, and I don't. Yep. Actually, he might have been gone. Was he on it? He was. He he finished with 14. Oladipo had 15 in that game. So you're three for three for so far. Can Keep I get going? A mm. well, one of them, if you miss, I think you'll be kicking yourself, Digger Phelps style. Really? Uh, no, 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 no. I've got three for three. I'm not going down the, the Digger <laughs> rabbit hole here. Um, hmm. Point guard. Point guard. Oh, how about how about mm, Yogi? Yogi yeah. Farrell? Yep, had 14. And Jordan Jordan Holes had 11 Jordan points. Jordan Holes. Yeah, if you'd give me 10 minutes, I don't know if I'm getting a Jordan Holes. So that was the one I figured you would not get. But yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Like a little trivia time from Kyle Boone there. Wonderful. Well, uh, Indiana beating Purdue, I think, was the loudest uh, result on a very noisy Saturday. After that, I think we got to talk about the final tip of the day. St. Mary's beating Gonzaga in overtime. We're going to do it right after this break. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, have you told your loved ones about Aiden Mahaney yet? Because if you haven't, you need to fix that immediately. I don't think a single player had a better weekend to their reputation than the St. Mary's freshman point guard. He had 18 points, but here's the deal. He had two in the first 33 minutes, and then the game flipped on its head. Mahaney went through a stretch where he scored eight out of nine points and went 19 for 21, accounting for either on points made, buckets, or assists for the Gales. That run helped St. Mary's eventually tie the game at 59. What a game. Slippery Jim, by the way, out there in Moraga at the UCUP. I don't know what's up with now. I get it. Band box, sweaty as hell. Humidity levels are high. But at one point, like Nolan Hickman on a breakaway, like you thought he might have really had a, a pretty bad twisted ankle. He wanted to you know, come back and be in, being on the floor there. But there are, there are bodies on the floor. Um, obviously a big affirming win for the Gales. What are your takeaways? And do you like, is this more for you? For me, it's more about St. Mary's and Gonzaga, but I can easily see if you want to take the other end. What, which way would you lean more and what sticks out to you? What's the bigger story? The St. Mary's end of winning or the Gonzaga end of losing? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the St. Mary's end of winning um, just because the way in which they did that. Because if you go back, like, Zags basically controlled this game. Like, they led by as many as 11 points. Uh, they led for the majority of the game. St. Mary's actually had to mount a comeback to win this game. And the way in which they did it, I think, was all the more impressive because Aiden Mahaney was, like, 
basically not a factor early in this game. And he's, he's had some really bright moments this season for St. Mary's. And you're like, man, it, it'd be nice if he could show up in this big spot for St. Mary's. He ends up doing it, has 18 points, um, 16 in the second half and overtime. But, you know, more specifically, as, as you mentioned, like basically the second half of the second half and overtime was when he really came alive. Uh, Mitchell Saxon with 15 points, 11 rebounds was really good. Uh, the slippery court was something that I, I was just interesting. I, I feel like we've had a lot of treacherous action over the last two weeks with, uh, I think it was Assembly Hall, just like almost killing Bryce Sensabaugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we got the slippery court. That was right. a little bizarre to watch, uh, but this game was fantastic. I could not go to sleep afterwards because it had me completely amped. Uh, I don't think it says too much about Gonzaga. Not surprising that they fall on the road. You know, St. Mary's team that's that you know the the metrics love actually higher than St. Mary's is ranked higher. I think at Ken Palm, I believe at Torvik, uh-huh. um, I know at Net. So you know this, this Gonzaga team is is still really good, uh, but they it's a spot where I'm not surprised that they would take the loss. And um, I'm, I'm not taking too much out of what we saw from Gonzaga. It's a really good St. Mary's team. I still think Gonzaga has a chance to, to make a run. And, you know, I think they could be a legit title contender, even if Ooh. you know they fall on the road against St. Mary's. Is that a hot take? Maybe a little spice, maybe a little spice on that one. Uh, Gonzaga 19 and five, still a title contender, title contender. Like, how many how many teams are you putting in that bucket, Kyle? Probably like ten to twelve. Okay, I think they're I think they're in there. No one's talking about Gonzaga this season, and and I well, think it's true. I mean, people are talking about him, but well, yeah, but not not in the same way that that we have over the last few years. And I, I think it's people are exhausted by the Gonzaga storyline. Um, and I I don't. The, I don't think it's quite right. Like this Gonzaga team is is nineteen and five. You know they have a top ten offense. They have Drew Timmy. They have Julian Strother. Like the weapons that they have. This this is still if 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 we weren't just completely overwhelmed and exhausted by what they've done and and kind of the storyline that has unfairly I think followed Gonzaga the last few years that they haven't quite been able to get over the hump, then I think we'd be talking about Gonzaga in a, in a light that's much more favorable than they are right now. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a hot take to say that Gonzaga is a legit title contender. Yeah. Um, okay. I think that's fair. Kate Tide in the chat says, doesn't it just reinforce how this Gonzaga team is not the same as the last few years with the absence of top-notch point guard play? That's yeah. obviously, that's clearly part of it. And yeah. the front court has been good for Gonzaga and, and been formidable. But... Yeah, that's. I thought Hickman would be better, big picture, than what he has been. I did. I definitely thought Hickman would be better, but um, the fact that he hasn't jumped to that next level has been has been not debilitating. It's just put a ceiling on them overall. Um, Timmy's been awesome. Timmy's having the best year of his career. And by the way, Gonzaga led this game. I mean, Gonzaga was in control of the game for about 36 minutes. That's the other part. Like Mahaney wasn't playing well, and then he took over, and then the home gym, and and there you go. This was only the third time the Gales beat Gonzaga in a game in which both teams were ranked. Again, ranked roadkill. We had five ranked teams lose on the road on Saturday. 
here's the caveat. They were all playing good teams. <laughs> and most of those teams, most of those teams were also ranked that they were playing on the road with the exception of, I believe, Kyle Boone's alma mater, which we will get to in just a little bit there. But for St. Mary's to overcome an 11 point deficit, obviously impressive. This is the first time these two teams who have played they're, they've been involved in many, many good games. I mean, I, I, you know, part of my early days at CBS covering college hoops. And even before that, when I was running college hoops journal, uh, I loved the Monday night, 11 PM tips between these two. Uh, but they had not played an overtime game since the 2012 WCC championship. So I think an important win for St. Mary's also, you know, SMC is now 10 and 0 in the WCC. Gonzaga's eight and two. I think I mentioned this on the Friday pod. This in effect guarantees St. Mary's is going to at minimum have a share of the league title. It's going to finish the top of the standings. The question is, will Gonzaga catch it? Don't think that'll happen. St. Mary's could have that standalone title, which it's been, uh, which it's been aiming for there. So just a wonderful game, a good way to wrap it up. Mitchell Saxon, Gave you the heads up on him on Friday's show. He wound up going for 15 and 11 as well. And it does give some national validation to St. Mary's. I think that is also part of this here. It's, it's actually not St. Mary's best win, in my opinion. They beat San Diego State on a neutral. And I think that uh, I think that's the biggest one so far. And it certainly rates as the best. You know, you, you, they played them in Phoenix. San Diego State's a good team. It's top 25 at Ken Palm. That one's more impressive on its face than a home one over Gonzaga, even if Gonzaga might be better than San Diego State. But here are the Gales, 12 in a row. And now they're looking at, they're staring down three roadies next. They're at Loyola Marymount, at Portland. Did you see how Portland got jobbed out of that game, by the way, against Pepperdine? Did you see that? I did not. Okay, we don't even need to get too deep into it, but there was uh, a double foul situation, technical. Pepperdine uh, uh, got the win uh, with 0.6 to go on an inbounds pass after they they were got two uh, foul shots on a technical and, you know, (laughs) lower on WCC stuff. But it was a wild, wild ending. Someone in the chat earlier asked if we had seen that. I did. That was uh, that was quite the quite the finish there. But yeah, so the Gales have at Loyola Marymount. Remember? LMU has got the win over Gonzaga. Then they're at Portland. They're at San Diego. They still got to play BYU at home and then go at Gonzaga. The Gales are going to lose at least one league game and two is certainly on the table. The question is, will Gonzaga lose again before it has to play St. Mary's? I'm going to say not likely. The toughest one is at LMU. It's going to host BYU. We'll see. Um, But yeah, a really, really nice way to wrap up Saturday night. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Uh, earlier in the evening, we had Duke and Carolina. This is not a ranked game, but it was interesting enough. We'll get to the other ranked on rank matchups as well. Duke wins 63-57. And 
it's a really, really good plot development, KB, for the Blue Devils to have their most important player on the floor have only attempted three field goals. Because that's what it was, man. Derek Lively II had eight blocks in this game. He had a career, that's a career high, obviously. It's the most blocks by a Duke player against Carolina ever. He had 14 boards, his best ever. Um, nine of those coming on the defensive end, five on the offensive end. And, oh, by the way, the eight blocks are the second most ever in a game, period. Mike Jaminski, Monroe, Connecticut's own, Masakai, uh, he did that back in 77 against Davidson. He had nine in a game there. But Lively's been coming on, man. He, is, he has been better and better. And when Shire got interviewed right afterward, he, you saw it was actually one of those things where, like, I think he was ready to emote kind of heavily, but he composed himself because he was on camera. I actually think if you re, if you rewatch that, um, like he knows the deal. He's gone through this. Like you win a game, you're going to probably get a two, three questions on TV. But I think like he was really wrapped up in how lively played getting the win after everything last year. You know, as part of a player uh, in this, he, you know, he's been involved in more than 30 games between being a player assistant, now head coach there. And someone on our HQ research team mentioned this yesterday. I think you can fact check me in real time. I think Shire had a losing record against Carolina when he played there. I'm pretty sure that was the case. So he gets the win as a head coach, a uh, first one. And it's, you know, that's a, obviously a big time deal for that school for him. And just affirming what has been the case. I did tweet something along these lines. Duke has been the better team than Carolina all season. It was an ugly game, 63-57, like not that pretty. What were your biggest takeaways about what Duke was able to do or Carolina not able to do? I'll also note Armando Baycott did not make a field goal in the final 12 minutes and 15 seconds of the game. Part of that was Lively. But that was also a major reason why the, the Tar Heels couldn't get over the hump. Yeah, Derek Lively was a story to me. Defensively, he was just an absolute monster. I believe he had three blocks like in the first couple minutes of action, finished with eight blocks, as you mentioned, 14 rebounds. Like The most impactful game I've seen him play this season and kind of what we've been waiting on from Derek Lively, right? Because this is a guy who came into the season, was a top 10 prospect on NBA draft prospect rankings uh, was the number three overall recruit in his class. Like he was a huge reason why a lot of people were in on Duke in the preseason because you bring in, you know, a seven footer who can play defense and, and dominate inside the paint. Like it's the, the number of players who can do what he does and the t have the talent that he has in college basketball is like, very, very few. And if you have one of those elite guys, you, your ceiling is raised tremendously. So Lively, despite only shooting three shots in the game, had four points, no free throws, but had 14 rebounds and eight blocks. That, to me, was the story. And he's looked a lot better of late. This was kind of validation. The first 16 games, he's averaging you know, just under four points per game. Uh, just under two blocks per game. His his last five games, though, he's he's at six points per game, almost nine rebounds per game, and four blocks per game. So, you know, the production is starting to to come around, and I think he his emergence of late is is obviously very very important. He's he's not going to be a guy who's putting up Jalil Okafor type numbers mm -hmm. as far as scoring the basketball, but defensively, I mean, this guy was just an absolute monster just just blocking everything and i think that was really impressive on the other side for north carolina 
just uh, just something that I was watching. The the free throw disparity was a, a talking point after the game. North Carolina finished with only three free throw attempts, and Armando Baycott had two of them. And I believe I'd have to go back and look, but it, it was something like the final 30 plus minutes of the game where North Carolina did not have a free throw attempt. So I know there was uh, there was some complaining on North Carolina's side about that after, after the game. And I, I think it was probably validated uh, just a little bit, but yeah, that was, that was something that I was watching too. I, uh, Hubert Davis, I have the quote here after the game, he said, going into the game, we shot 150 more free throws than any other opponent in our conference. And we shot three zero in the second half and basically said like a rhetorical question to the reporter like what what did you see like what what did you make of it basically saying like yeah i didn't love it um so that was something to watch too but duke definitely earned this one 63 57 very impressed and I, i think there's a lot of optimism surrounding this duke team i think they're still the most talented team in in the ACC and have the highest ceiling among all ACC teams. So getting this win, even at home, I, I think is really important. Right, a couple of things. If you're watching, the box score is still up and you see over on the right column, team comparison. Look at those fast break points. 20 for Duke, two for Carolina. I don't know if Roy was in the building. I'm assuming he was. Maybe he wasn't. Hostile territory. All that. He can get in the building. It's not, gonna, it's not a big deal. But I gotta, what would Roy say about two fast break points for a North Carolina team playing Duke? Uh, now, this also speaks to Duke's ability. Shire, and this has been a, it's appreciated locally, but if you haven't picked up on this, Duke defensively has, been, has developed a really good habit of taking other teams down significantly from how many they're dropping on a per-game basis and, and saying, you're averaging 74 against us, you're, gonna, you're only getting 63. You're averaging 78 against us, you're only getting six, you know, 67. That kind of deal. UNC only getting 57 in this spot is big. You mentioned the free throws there. And then, yeah, the fouls are a problem. You had Baycott with four. Um, and last year in this game, look at that Carolina box score. Four guys last year got 20. They had here four guys get double figures. No one more than 14. Shouts to Leaky Black. He had three three-pointers and actually in some big spots there. Um, also, Paolo Bancaro in the student section. I love it. It's, it's, it's such... I, I didn't check the NBA schedule. I didn't know what allowed him to, uh, to dip out to Durham there. But it's just like he could be on the floor. Like, not that he ever would. He was an awesome one-and-done player. But, like, he could be playing in the, in the game. But he got with the student section. I thought that was, I thought that was awesome. That's, a, that's the reasons why I absolutely love college hoops. That was, that was really, really great to see. And... Uh, and great that and Kyle Filipowski wasn't wasn't injured as well. He he had a, a weird fall. I don't know if it was more his back or his elbow, but he got up. He was okay. Proctor continues to progress really well, man. Yeah. He he continues to grow. And then like Roach had twenty. Roach scored more than anyone in the game. Back to back games of at least twenty points there, and th- things are coming together for Duke. I I still don't know if they're going to be capable. I remember there's no Whitehead on the floor in this game. Um, I don't know if they'll be capable of being a team that can really make a deep run. We'll see. Like they're still young, but they're they're coming along. This was a this was a nice win for for Duke for you know, and it was the fewest. I'm just checking my notes here. It was the fewest points that UNC had scored at Duke since Shire was a senior on the roster. Carolina lost 82 to 50 in March of 2010. Um, so big time stuff for Duke. For Carolina, you're still in the tournament, but. You're kind of in the same spot you were a season ago, you know, early February, 
bubble team. Duke was favored to win. You know, again, not going to overreact to one single game here. But and I get the free throw stuff from Hubert. I do. I mean, you, you shoot three in hostile territory. Every single coach is going to be stewing about that. Walking off the floor, coming out of the locker room to meet with the to meet with the media. I get all of that. But a nice win for Duke and uh, wasn't the most well-played game. You know, that was one of the more lower scoring games in the history of the rivalry. This is actually the third time in the past six meetings that both Carolina and Duke have been unranked. Yet the game normally delivers and Shire is able to uh, to claim a win in his first Vict, uh, a win in his first meeting with his hated rival. Um, any other lingering thoughts you want to move on? Yeah, I think we can move on. All right, sounds good. Uh, let's let's talk real quick. Uh, st- stick in the ACC. Virginia Tech wins 74-68 over Virginia, ranked Roadkill. Uh, Sean Padula had 22, Justin Mutz was 17. This is the third straight time that the Hokies have won at the Castle over their in-state rival. Um, for Virginia, the next two, they're both at, they're both at home. They're both in Seaville. Uh, NC State and Duke. So they've got good competition coming. And so we'll see how the race in the league develops overall. That was another byproduct of, of what we saw in the league. And we'll get to that in just, a, in just a few here when we talk about some other results. But for Virginia Tech, I just thought it was a necessary win to even try and remotely claim something of a tournament resume. They have way more work to do. Um, I don't think, let me check here. I don't think Virginia Tech has a road win yet this season. It does not. And so Virginia Tech's next year, home to BC, at Notre Dame, at Georgia Tech, home to Pitt, home to Miami. If Virginia Tech's going to go from 14 and 9 and on the outside looking in, because the best wins right now are Penn State on a neutral and Oklahoma State on a neutral, and those are fine. And home against UNC. I'll give them that too. That's that that's there with, with Duke, but I was talking more non-con. Like they're there, but the but they got to do more. Uh, minimally, uh, Virginia Tech, I would advise going four and one in its next five because then it's going to wrap its the regular season at Duke, at Louisville win that one home to Florida state. It's very manageable, but you can't take on another two bad losses. You're going to, you're going to devastate your resume there. So I actually thought in a sneaky way, the Hokies getting that win could be something that springboards them three weeks from now. And they're going to be in a better spot. Did you get to catch much of this game? Any takeaways from what you saw? Cause I wasn't surprised necessarily by this GP and I split on this one. Um, I, I took the the Wahoos. He took he took the Hokies there, so he wound up being right in the final four and one. But I just thought Padula, Grandpa Silly had a couple of big shots there, and you know the Hokies are 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 not a fun team to prepare for. And I was you know I expected this to be close, and lo and behold, they got it. Any quickie takeaways on that one? Yeah, this was happening during I believe it was the Kansas Iowa State game. So I had it on my second screen. Um, was really impressed with Virginia Tech from what I saw. Um, they led the entire game against Virginia. And yes, it, it was at home as it's in Blacksburg. So I guess that's kind of to be expected, but uh, kind of missed opportunity for, for Virginia. I thought chance to, to, you know, establish itself as a potentially the top team in the ACC Clemson lost and uh, missed opportunity for sure. Um, Padula was awesome. As you mentioned, had 22 points, uh, Basil had 14. So yeah, that, that was uh, kind of, I don't have a ton of takeaways from this game. To me, it was more, you know, Virginia, Virginia missing a chance to, to maybe establish itself atop the ACC. The ACC is uh, having a historically bad year. And uh, so, yeah, th- this would have been a nice spot for them to, to maybe launch themselves up to the top. Texas went on the road and came back and got a win at K-State. Not ranked roadkill. 69-66 to keep his place atop the Big 12. And they're 8-2 and two right now. 
Serge Jabari Rice with another good game. Had a double-double. 14 points, season-high 10 boards. Christian Bishop had all 14 of his in the second half. Like, tremendous composure from the Longhorns here. I was, I was so impressed. I, I was, I had talked myself. Uh, I was tracking a bunch there um, from the from the studio set, and I had talked myself into K State winning that game. It just mm. the, the way that it was going. I thought K State was, and K State hadn't dropped two in a row this season. Now it obviously has. This gets to Texas at twelve and three with Rodney Terry running the ship, and now Texas is six and zero oh in games that either decided by five points or fewer or go to overtime. Like they're stepping up in 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 big time moments. There, I wonder if. If we aren't yet giving Texas like the credit, maybe it deserves in this regard because it's it's got to. By the way, it's got to turn around and play Kansas on Monday. So a, a loss very well could be coming. But like you you mentioned, I'd have Gonzaga in my top ten to twelve national title candidates. Like, would you have Texas in your top six on the list? Because I could be talked into right now Texas being like on that level of a team. And it might even have validation. I would say it's got a one-seed resume after getting a win like this. What were your thoughts on that game? Top six. That's a that's a perfect over-under line. Yeah. Uh, if you put them to... I, I don't know if I'd have... I, they, if they're not six for me, they're seven, I think. So would you... Let me ask you this. Would you have Kansas above Texas? <laughs> they play each other and... I know. Yeah. Um, and Kansas kind of... You know what? Them. I would. Honestly, I would narrowly have Kansas. It might split the difference there. Let's do this for fun. Hold on. Before we get back to this game, unprompted thought experiment. Listing our, our most likely national championship candidates. Mm-hmm. You want to go first? Just do a one through seven and see if you get to both Texas and Kansas. Yeah. So I'll go Houston. You're most likely. You Right now, you got a bracket to fill out. You're most likely to say Houston will win it all. I would pick Houston to win it all. Okay. By the way, um, anyone listening to on this Monday, if they've lost against Temple, he is at Kyle double underscore Boone CBS on Twitter. So there How dare you? How dare you? Uh, I would take Purdue. I would take my third team would be Arizona. My fourth team would be UCLA. Mm. My fifth team would be Alabama. Here we go. Six, this is where it gets interesting. I think I would take Kansas, and then I would take Texas. Okay. I would go Purdue one. Yeah. I'd go Purdue one. I'd go... Hmm. I'd go... Bama two. I would go UCLA three. Yeah. I would say... What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four the podcast so you don't miss a thing. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. 
Zona four. Mm-hmm. Houston five. Ooh, too low. Too I'd say low. that's a strong five. That uh, is. And I think I'd say Kansas six. Yeah. And if it's Texas at seven, I'd say, uh, yeah. That's what I'd go, Kansas and Texas. So I think we have the same group of seven there. Yes. And it gets even intriguing after that, to be honest. But yeah, that's probably where I'd have it. And and it does matter, like winning on the road against Kansas State goes away toward that. Now, I still, I said a few shows ago that I just considered Kansas State big picture, like futures. My, my confidence level in K-State is high. I would just have it the lowest of the six in the big 12. So I would have it lower than TCU. I would have it lower than Baylor and have it lower than Iowa state and all the others still high, still top 20 team, but the lowest. So with that in mind, you know, just, uh, just take that into consideration. Texas is now, by the way, eight and four in its quad one matchups. And it has won five straight games in the octagon of doom. That program is not intimidated and it's proved it. It was down by 14 points in the first half KB and came back and, uh, and got, and got the win because it hit, you know, Hit 57% of its shots in the second half. It was really impressive. Uh, other thoughts from the game from you? I, th- I think that's it. I, I I was with you. I thought Kansas State would defend its home court. Um, really impressed with Texas. Like This was, to me, like a schedule loss. If you lose this game, I think you're still in fine shape. You're still you know, sitting at least atop the, the Big 12 in, in a tie. It would have been like one, two, three, four-way tie, maybe five-way tie. Um, so yeah, they, they stay atop the big 12. They have a one game buffer on Iowa state, two games up on TCU, Kansas state and Baylor and doing it on the road, I think was all the more impressive, especially the way in which they did that. Uh, Serge, Serge Barry rice, maybe the best underrated name in college basketball, 14 points. And, uh, yeah, this was, this was really impressive from, from Texas. I have, uh, I have been picking Texas in some of my futures for Big 12 champion and uh, feeling pretty good about that right right, right about now. I um, think Kansas is still lurking out there. I still I think, I think Kansas is maybe the better team on the whole, but Texas is in a really good spot um, to, win, to win the Big 12. And given all that it has uh, gone through this season, losing its coach, and um, you, obviously Rodney Terry's running the show as, as interim coach. Like it's, it's really impressive what this Texas team has done in many ways in both league play and record. Uh, this is shaping up to be um, the best text, <clears throat> excuse me, the best Texas team, probably, probably the best Texas team since 2010, 2011, that team went 28 and eight. It was a four seed. It got upset in the second round of the tourney by Zona that had Jordan Hamilton, uh, Tristan Thompson was the one and done freshman on that team. Corey Joseph was on that team. Jai Lucas was on that team. Jay Lucas was on that team. So they had uh, they had a good squad. This one stands to maybe even be better. Let's stick in the Big 12 and talk about the other two results there. Iowa State, come on, man. Just handles KU. Yeah. And it's 68-53. And it, it, you know, the Cyclones remain unbeaten at home. They're 12-0. This is the sixth team in the top 25 that TJ Altzelberger's crew has defeated this season forced Kansas into 20 turnovers, man. This is why, like, I'm, I'm not stepping off this. I said this weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Iowa State can absolutely make the Final Four. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Right now, ISU ranks 21 or better in every single metric, and it, it 
is reflected well in both predictives and resume-oriented stuff. It's seven and six in quad one, nine and six overall in the top two quadrants. Hasn't played a ton of lower end games uh, relative to his schedule. And that'll only continue to inflate as we inflate as we go along in the Big Twelve. But just super impressive, man. Jaron Holmes, fifteen points in the second half. You know they had the they had really good play from their young guys. They're just they're getting production from spots that is really encouraging. Jalen Wilson got his. He had 26 of Kansas's 53 points. Didn't seem to matter because Hilton Coliseum is a really, really tough place to go in and get a win for the most part, with the exception of a couple seasons there. This is the 30th win for ISU in that building against a ranked opponent since 2010. That's the fourth most in the entire sport. Just really impressive stuff. I, I I think this is more about ISU than Kansas. I get it though. Like I'm seeing in the comments, there are a couple of people fading the the Jayhawks. Are you as well? I I know you just had them in your top seven. I'm yeah. talking, I'm talking fading the Jayhawks in terms of being a night in night out danger. This is the fourth loss in six games. The wins are at Kentucky, and then they got the the clear cut win against I uh, Kansas State earlier in the in the week. They got to turn around and play Texas on Monday. Where do you sit right now? with Bill Self's team because Jalen Wilson's, you know, he's probably the second best player in the country this season to Edie. Yeah. Uh, I'm still in on Kansas. Uh, they, they definitely have some holes. Their guard play has been below what I think most people anticipated. It would be similar, similar to Gonzaga, honestly um, had 20 turnovers in this game. Terrible matchup against Iowa state. Iowa state is, is number one in college basketball and turnover forced rate defensively. And just played right into Iowa State's hand. Kansas has been turnover prone this season. Had 20 on Saturday inside Hilton Coliseum. Just, just a terrible performance from Kansas. And Bill Self had just a, a very blunt assessment after the game. Said, you know, we, we weren't very good early. We weren't very good middle. And we weren't very good late. And... uh I think that summed it up. They just didn't play a good game. Like from start to finish, it was it was kind of Iowa State's game. And, and credit to Iowa State inside Hilt Coliseum that Hilt Magic uh, came out. They looked really, really good. And they defended them really well. Jalen Wilson obviously was, was able to get his, but they were just better. They were better on both sides of the ball. Uh, first four losses in five-game stretch of Big 12 play for Kansas – ever since since Bill Self took over um, two, decade, two decades ago. Fit, at 53 points was the lowest output in a conference game under Self at Kansas. So in many ways, it feels kind of like an anomaly. I, I'm not ready to jump ship on, on Kansas. I still think they have the goods to, to make a deep run and maybe defend their, defend their championship. But yeah, that was a, it was a, a jarring scene because Kansas they don't lose very much and they don't lose by 15 points very much. And the way in which they lost just from start to finish, Iowa state was, was clearly ready to go and they were clearly the better team in this game. You ready to talk Cowboys? Oh yeah. All right. Floors. You're, I'm not even going to set this up. It's all you. <laughs> it's all you. Hey, you're Cowboys. So go ahead. Yeehaw. Okay. Oklahoma State, 79. TCU, 73. How about them Cowboys, Mad Norlander? They're looking good. The big game for uh, Caleb Boone, my 
large adult son, 25. Yeah, that's right. That is right. That's exactly what I, you're a large adult son. Yeah, that, that is exactly right. Uh, Musa Cisse, he's been in and out of the lineup with an ankle injury for, you know, the greater part of the last month. Caleb Boone has been awesome kind of stepping up and, and seizing a bigger role for the Cowboys. Um, Oklahoma state led for the majority of this game. They tried to give it away as they have done several times this season. They've, they've, they, their resume could be a lot, lot better than it is, but they've had some games like against Kansas on the road where they've been up late and given games away. They tried to give it away, but uh, ended up closing this out inside Gallagher Iber Arena. Huge wins, their third straight overall. Um, they've they've won five of their last six. Um, they they're looking really good. They're five and five in Big Twelve play. I think they've played their way into the right side of the bubble conversation for now. And uh, by the way, Avery Anderson was not in this game. Did not play. He's dealing with an injury. So TCU was uh, shorthanded as well. No Mike Miles in this game. No Eddie Lampkin. So have to factor that in as well. But this was uh, this was a really impressive win for Oklahoma State. They seem to be trending in the right direction. I think they're in the field right now, even narrowly. They might be the last team in, and the we got, and we got, listen, as we speak, five weeks to selection Sunday, it's going to be here quicker than you think, but it can't get here fast enough. Five weeks yeah. until selection Sunday. I would have your pokes dancing. Now. I think the win was important enough. Uh, caught up with, with Boynton late on Saturday. He pointed out, that when Musa Sisa has played in Big 12 games, Oklahoma State is 5-1, and one, and the only yeah. loss is at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. He also, and this is a coach sticking up for his guys, but maybe he's got a point. He said that Caleb Boone has been, you know, one of the five to seven best players in the league over the past couple of weeks and might be the best offensive post player in the conference, and then they've got the best defensive post guy in Sisa. So you've got a lot of encouragement, reason for optimism if you're an Oklahoma State fan, because you know what? You didn't have Avery Anderson in that game, and you still get it done. You get it done on your home floor to continue to steer the season in the right direction. 14-9 overall, I get it, but five wins out of six games, and the only loss in that stretch was at Texas, which was a 14-point L, but I think the team is defensively good enough to get this done. It it did miss out on plenty of non-conference opportunities, so if they're going to do this, like they're going to have to do it entirely through the Big 12 schedule. And this is where if you've got a team that's good, I mean, it's one quad, one game after another, after another, after another. And so looking at the rest of the schedule, home to Tech on Wednesday, got to be a win, 15 and 9. At Iowa State, call it a loss, 15 and 10. Home to Kansas, call it a, call it a win, 16 and 10. At TCU, we'll say they split 16 and 11. And they're at West Virginia, we'll give them the L, 16 uh, and 12 in that, in that instance there. You still got K-State at home, Baylor at home, and at Tech. They're they're interesting. I feel like I feel like your Cowboys are kind of trending towards super bubble territory. They're yeah, going to have yeah. so many good quad ones, but they're going to have a high loss volume, not a lot of bad losses, and they will be ripe for uh for the old blind resume comparison when we get there. For TCU, seventeen and six, the team started thirteen and one. It sits at six and four in the league. And it, you know, it doesn't have Mike Miles right now. He's got that hyperextension in his knee. We don't know when he'll be back. I would not expect him back Tuesday for K State once they get Lampkin back. Like it's still a good team, and they're a lot of fun to watch. But 
um, you go on the road in the league and you're going to, you're going to take an L there. So the big 12 continued to get um, some more interesting developments. And I thought Oklahoma state got maybe as valuable win as almost anyone else in the country there. You want to do some weekend whip around? Let's whip it around. All right. I'll give you the results and then uh, and you give me, give me your takeaways, whatever games you want to comment on. Uh, we'll note VCU, San Diego state, good Friday winners. We're not overlooking the Friday games. Okay. Yep. Uh, Shouts to Akron as well. Beat, uh, beat Kent state in a, in a fun little Mac affair, but VCU is 13 and two in its last 15 and is nine and two atop the A 10 after winning at St. Louis, San Diego state is 11 and two in its last 13 and nine and two atop the mountain West after beating Boise state on Saturday. Iowa, 81, Illinois, 79. They brought out the Cedar Rapids Boys and Girls Club to a standing ovation. Had to be done. The right move. A proper move. Not even a trolling move. Just the right move. And uh, and credit to the Hawkeyes for, for getting a win there. They've won seven of their past nine. And this was the first time in six games that Iowa was, was able to beat their hated rival in Illinois. Tony Perkins, really, really good stuff. He had 32 in that one. And, uh, and Iowa continues to try and build up a resume, still a bit of a mysterious team, but that was a fun, well-played game and a really good rivalry. And the only scheduled one between these two teams in the regular season, we'll see if they wind up squaring off against each other and finding each other. Once the big 10 has bracket play, when we get to March elsewhere on Saturday, Miami 78 Clemson, 74 uh, Brevin Galloway and his balls and his NIL deal for his balls back chase Hunter and Alex Hemingway all back. So Clemson now full strength, couldn't pull it out. They're Tony Attorney profile is starting to get pretty bubblicious. They had a great opportunity to kind of hold the lead in the ACC, but they didn't. And instead, now they're tied in the loss column with Virginia. And hello, the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Kentucky got a win 72-67 over Florida. Game was a lot closer than it needed to be. And I thought Florida schemed well for Oscar Shibway. But check this quote, John Calipari, quote, I need to play Damian Moore and Oscar less, end quote. We are talking about the reigning national player of the year. And Calipari saying, I need to play him less. That's a warning sign. Kentucky in winning avoided having a real intense scrutiny of its resume and whether or not they should be in the field or not at this moment. They're definitely in for now. But home floor at Rupp. Mm. And Florida had a wonky broken play at the end of that game that prevented them from getting a, a, the, the proper shot off to either cut it to one or, or shoot a three and uh, maybe get it to overtime. Shouts to Rutgers, 61-55 over Michigan State. That game was at the Garden. Huge shouts to Rutgers fans. Th- that was an awesome environment coming off the screen. And I asked with, with earnestness the last time St. John's was able to get like that kind of vibe in that building. Cause you know, the Johnny's they play a number of home games at the world's most famous arena. And I had a few folks uh, say when they beat Nova, I think Nova was top ranked when it happened back in 18 or maybe it was 19. It's pretty awesome environment. I remember watching that game. I remember that day. Um, so it has happened recently, but I don't know if the building's been like that more than four or five times in the past 15 years. Uh, so for Rutgers fans and the, and the, the local faithful within a train ride or a short drive uh, into midtown Manhattan, that was, that was really good stuff. And, and Indiana and Rutgers, you guys can, you guys can battle over who's the second best team in the big 10. And you know, the wonderful thing about it, you're going to play each other on Tuesday and it's the return game. So I can't wait to see that. Um, Tennessee beat Auburn 46, 43. It was ugly as hell. Auburn had <laughs> Auburn had 0.64 points per possession. Tennessee scored 0.69. Not nice. Not nice at all. There are two players that were in double figures in this game. Tennessee gets the win, but one of my main takeaways on HQ on Saturday night for the overnight show was just sell your long-term Tennessee stock. And I understand that there are Rick Barnes skeptics and they've always been on that, but I was really ready to buy in. I, I'm just telling you, 
I will not. I Tennessee could literally win out from here to the end of the SEC tournament. I will not talk myself into putting that team in the Final Four. I don't trust them offensively enough. Defensively, they're great. And, and you know, there was a there was a no call at the end. I get that on when Green, when Wendell Green was taking the shot. I was actually fine with the no call. Whatever the game was, just it was atrocious, it, unwatchable. Um, only other two notes here is Jonathan Chamachachwa comeback yeah. story. He he. He plays, you know, he suffered a brutal knee injury a year ago, multiple ligament damage, uh, some nerve damage expectation, you know, a timeline of well more than 12 months of recovery. He got back. He had eight points, hit two threes, four boards and a four in 14 minutes in the Baylor win over Texas Tech. We'd love to see it. And then Vince Iwachukwu at USC, he had returned, but he had the cardiac arrest was uh, rushed to the hospital last summer. He started on Saturday night and USC's win over Washington got six points in 10 minutes. Those were amazing, amazing comeback stories. So a little tour around the nation there uh, before we get to the cranky old man in central New York. Any thoughts on any of that stuff? Any takeaways on those games or anything else, KB? Oh, yeah. Lots of takeaways. So VCU wins, San Diego State wins, stay atop the conference standings. Um, Good that we are acknowledging that huge wins uh, on I believe both of those were on Friday. Um, flipping to Iowa, I can't. I can't quit Iowa Norlander. I I might to be addicted. You know, when you say that, if yeah. I hand you a bracket tomorrow and you don't know the teams, like you're putting Iowa into your second weekend Sweet Sixteen, almost no matter what, to that level. It, yes, I am. I am. Um, they've won three straight. Like the the highs that this Iowa team has has shown this season. Like I'm just, I. I, I just want to be ahead of market for Iowa. Like I know people are probably hating on McCaffrey and I, I like, I get it, but this is a, this is an Iowa team that like has dudes kind of everywhere. Like their offense is legit. Um, Tony Perkins had 32 versus Illinois. Chris Murray has remained awesome. And one of the 10 best college basketball players this season, I believe. And so, yeah, like I, I don't think they're one of the, two best teams in the big 10, but I do believe they are a second weekend team. Um, they could get got at any point and it wouldn't surprise me, but like they're number two in Ken Palm at op- in, in offensive adjusted efficiency right now. So like they're, they're humming at a good level, um, a good win over Illinois, really impressed with them. Are you, are you out on Iowa by the way? I, I feel like um, I'm vacillating on Iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm in or if I'm in or out. And that was like that was an equally matched game. They could play tomorrow night in Champaign and Illinois might win by two. So yep. and Illinois had had what won seven out of eight going into that. Yep. Um, I was ready to put Illinois in the Hey 19 power rankings. All you had to do go on the road and take out Iowa. You couldn't do it there. So I, I, like, yeah, I mean, defensively, there's the same issues as always. I don't yep. know what if you know, we'll see where they where they get at this point. From a tournament resume perspective, what, 15 and 8? Let me look at these numbers real quick on this on Iowa because we are getting to that point. Um, Iowa right now, 33 in the net. They're actually, look at this, man. Every team sheet metric for Iowa, almost all of them, between 31 and 33. Sagarin's highest on them. Sagarin's got them 22. 7 and 5 in quad one. They have one. Yeah, they got that hideous loss. I keep forgetting. Committee will not forget. Keep forgetting. They have that home loss to Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois is atrocious. Atrocious. Three and nine in the OVC, man. Um, No Chris Murray in that game. No Connor McCaffrey in the game. You can't. I don't care. I'm just saying. Eastern Illinois. 
it's like in your building. TCU had a terrible loss against. That's true. I know you can't have it. I'm yeah. out. On, you know what? I'm out on TCU now. Now that you reminded me, uh, I it, I don't think. Remember how Iowa was the hot team going in the last tournament? The people put them into the Final Four, and then what that happened? Was much. That was Arachnophobia. Richmond out of nowhere. That was one of the least predictable twelve over fives I think I've ever seen. Yeah. No one had Richmond, and so. I have a hard time believing that I could ever talk myself into this Iowa team getting to the second weekend. Iowa fans, clip it, save it. When it happens, come find me, and I'll own it. <laughs> I love it. I'll be I'll be our Iowa stand for the podcast. And then Tennessee, Auburn. I'm just thankful that I'm here and my eyes aren't completely gouged out. That was that set basketball back a hundred years. Forty six, forty three. Um, the lo- the fourth lowest scoring game between ranked teams in the shot clock era according to ESPN stats and information. Uh, two teams combined for five of 48 shooting from three-point range. I do not want to waste any more of my breath. That game was atrocious. Selling stock on Tennessee as well. I, like, I, don't, I don't know what to make of this Tennessee team, honestly, because their defense is fantastic, and I just don't know what I'm going to get game to game offensively. It, it might work in the NCAA tournament, and if they go like make a run, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, but... I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird team. Like, I don't know what to make it. The falls. Yeah. Um, I mean, the defense can show up pretty much every night, but it's, yeah, it's a tough situation. Uh, we got to talk to Jim Beheim, don't we? Yeah, we do. Because <laughs> my mentions haven't been on fire because of any result yesterday. It's what Beheim said and then subsequently walked back. So we'll address this real quick here. Because uh, it was, it was a headline. I mean, as we speak right now, I mean, people are just, Dunking all over this. This is uh, okay. So Beheim uh, talked to Pete Thamel of ESPN. Uh, Pete dipped down to Chestnut Hill. He lives in the greater Boston area. So why not take in a Syracuse BC game on a Saturday afternoon, right? So and and good on Pete for uh, for having this reporter's instinct to go and and get Beheim to talk about retirement because this is the there's like this is the backdrop to all this. Like there's ongoing curiosity behind the scenes in the sport. It's like is Beheim going to retire this year? Is this going to happen? So a couple things off this story. Um, the, first, the retirement stuff, and then I'll get to the the quote on on Pitt and Wake. Uh, he told Thamel, quote, on retirement, I have no other plans. Listen, this has been the question of the day for the for 15 years. This isn't a new question. It's just the calendar going, well, he's 78. It's just the calendar. If it wasn't the calendar, if I was 65, no one would be saying anything, and I'm not going to retire just because it's the calendar. Anything can happen. Anything, literally. We'll just see what happens. I don't say anything because I don't know incredible quote yeah i get it's the cal it's your age yes is 78 is different than 65 he's the oldest coach in the in the country in college basketball period and then later he goes i know it's my choice i can do whatever i want i just don't know for sure end quote and there's oh oh there's more um he also said i'm scrolling down here where's the 90 he said that 95 percent of syracuse people want him to stay that is not true. I, I know people that attended that university. That is that that is that might be a straw poll of four, and maybe four out of five are saying stay. And then how about this closing quote? This is just retirement quote. All these people are saying he should retire. Who's that? Everyone I see comes up to me and says, "Coach, don't retire." Where do you get that from? This is. Come on, come on in. What are we doing, Beheim? So that's the retirement stuff. I don't know if he will or he won't. 
I think Adrian Autry will get that job whenever he does. But he indicated he probably is going to return next season. And I don't think that decision is going to inspire a hefty portion of Syracuse fans. And I've heard from listeners of the pod who are Syracuse fans, and they, they are ready to move on. It, it might not be everyone, but it feels comfortable to say like more than half of that fan base appreciates what he's done, but they are ready. If he comes back, so be it. There has never been a figure more associated with a single university in the history of college sports. College sports. Jim Beheim played there and has coached. The, I think there was one season and uh, one year of his life since he has been like 17 years old that he did not live in Syracuse. He's just entwined there. And then here's the, here's the quote that got all this, this run. Cause he started talking about, you know, everything, the state of the game. Uh, he said, quote, this is an awful place we're in in college basketball. Pittsburgh bought a team. Okay, fine. My big donor talks about it, but he doesn't give anyone any money. Nothing. Not one guy. Our guys, our guys make like $20,000. Okay, hold on. Okay. Okay. So again, he doesn't give anyone any money. Nothing. Not one guy. Our guys make $20,000. Okay. Uh, slightly contradictory, but I understand what he's saying. The quote continues. Wake Forest bought a team. Miami bought a team. It's like, really? This is where we are. That's really where we are. And it's only going to get worse. End quote. Okay. So that happens. And like, I get the Miami point. They got, they got John Ruiz, the billionaire booster. He's, he's signing hundred thousand dollar NIL deals. I, I get all that. First of all, this is legal. Yes. Okay. Like this, this it just, it, it's a terrible look for Bayheim KB because this is a quote out of 2011, let alone I mean, the replies to all this and the chatter from others is just like, okay, Syracuse, really? Bayheim, really? It's coming from him and that program? Really? Like, there's, I, I have heard responses over all this stuff about this. And then just to toss Wake Forest into it. So Steve Forbes gets on the phone late Saturday night, and um, he was baffled. Like it wasn't like he was a raging inferno. He was like, what is happening right now? Why is Wake Forest coming at it? Like what? He's like, I've been on the record with my media about we're trying, but if you want to see a power conference team in the NIL era that doesn't have it like NIL backing, we're it. They're bringing in dudes from Delaware. So uh, Bayheim walked it back. Um, Forbes actually told me that, uh, like, Beheim uh, sent it. I don't, he didn't qu qualify if it, was, uh, if it was a voicemail or a text, but like, Beheim found him at like three in the morning. <laughs> like, so, uh, and he walked it back. He apologized. And so, and then he cleared it up with Thamel for ESPN's report and said he, you know, he absolutely shouldn't have invoked Pitt and Wake Forest, which is just weird, but also hilarious at the same time. Um, to like he went Nick Saban, Texas A&M on these schools. Super weird, man. Super random. But this became one of the more notable things of the weekend. What are your thoughts? I mean, Beheim's lost his fastball, but that's not like that's not breaking news. Like it, it, it feels like at this point he's just like kind of looking for reasons why he can make excuses for why he's not at the top of his game anymore. Like this Syracuse program is just kind of stagnated with Beheim running the show. And that's like not a reflection necessarily on his coaching ability. It's the fact that like some of the best coaches in, in college basketball or in college football have not tried to adapt to the modern era. 
And instead of not adapting, they're kicking and screaming on their way out. Um, and it feels a lot like that is what is happening with Syracuse and Jim Beheim because he's complaining about players being bought or teams buying players. When this is 2023, dude, you can buy players. You can bu- you can buy your whole dang team if you want. You can have mega boosters throwing fat cash at recruits at transfers. And you can stack the best darn roster you want to because this is the year 2023. Like NIL is a thing. It is legal now. And Bayheim operating as if like he's trying to assimilate a roster for 2012 is just like a perfect encapsulation of like this is why you're not this is why your team is not good anymore. Like you're just you're just behind the times. You're behind the times. You went 16 and 17 last year. Missed the NCAA tournament, fourteen to ten this year. Probably going to miss the NCAA tournament. Like, it's just, I think it's a perfect encapsulation of where Syracuse is at right now, where Jim Beheim is at right now, and of course, it was Jim Beheim saying this. And I think the the question surrounding Syracuse and Jim Beheim has been, you know, for months. Like, when when is this dude going to sail off into the sunset? Because some of the best coaches in college basketball have decided to walk away in recent years. Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski among them and Jay Wright. Like, and, and so basically his quote, you know, is like some of these guys are walking away because things have changed so drastically and they don't want to deal with that anymore. And it, it felt like Beheim kind of admitting, like if I ever do walk away, this is, this is why I'm going to walk away. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of dealing with this. And, He's tired of it because he's behind the times and Syracuse is, is obviously having a rough go of it. So yeah, like to, I'm glad it blew up. I'm glad that uh, the quotes got out there because it's, it's just perfectly on brand that it's Jim Beheim. It is very much on brand. I love this tweet from Fornelli after, uh, after this came out, he tweeted at me and he's, you know, he's using faux quotes, uh, impersonating Beheim. College basketball is an awful place. I hate it. Anyway, I might stick around for another few years. And that's basically what Beheim said on Saturday. Um, he left the door open to maybe that he might retire. Uh, what Syracuse will be after Beheim, I also find to be a fascinating topic that we'll save for another time. And a lot of people, you know, were quick to mention that Elijah Moore, uh, a really good recruit, uh, recently, you know, he got he got wooed on on a private jet on his trip to Syracuse with with two hip hop stars and, and just, you know, kind of got the, the red carpet treatment and, you know, they wanted to point out the hypocrisy of all this stuff. And, and I certainly get that, but um, we'll wait and see on that. Beheim's children have now left. They're no longer at the program and the, the team itself. I mean, it's maybe it gets to the NIT. It's not even in the tournament picture, Um, but no, we'll see on, uh, we'll see on all that, but Beheim's good for a couple of, stories on a national level, regardless of what his team is doing. And he, uh, he's actually kind of delivered him uh, in a short period of time. Cause he had the, the interaction with the student reporter less than a week ago. And now yep. we have, uh, we have this, I think that's pretty much it. My man, uh, you got anything else, any updates, anything you want to share? Like, what do you got? I, th- I think I got nothing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. We did. We taking some questions. What? Nah, there's I'm, I, you know what? So if you're listening, there's going to be a mailbag episode. I might just go, I might go solo. 
you know, unless you want to get involved. If you want to get involved, you can you can hop on again later. But I'm not going to ask you to do two pods in one day. So we can talk. We can talk. Okay. I, well, I know people love solo Norlander, so I don't want to. I don't know about that. But listen, GP's away for the weekend, and, and look, I appreciate everyone that's that's sending in these questions. So I want to at least deliver some of them before they're completely out of date. And February is going to be busy. Don't know when we might have another time to do this. So we've got them lined up. And again, if you're, you're if you got into the pod here on Sunday, appreciate you. Thank you so much. And you will have another episode, a little mailbag special waiting for you on Monday before GP's back in the saddle with me midweek. You know what? Let's preview real quick. Let's yep. preview the look ahead. Let's just give you a quick heads up. Monday, two games to know. Duke at Miami, Texas at Kansas. Tuesday's loaded. Yep. I'm playing. I'm planning on going to this UConn game, but there's a lot here, man. Marquette at UConn. Rutgers at Indiana, Auburn at AM, intriguing in its own right, TCU at K State, Arkansas at Kentucky. Arkansas just got his first road win of the season over the weekend at South Carolina. Mm. Maryland at Michigan State. Sneaky good one right there. UNC at Wake Forest. Okay. NC State at Virginia and Nevada at New Mexico. Tuesday, that is a, that is a Saturday-level kind of slate on a Tuesday there. Give me your three most anticipated games of all those, Monday and Tuesday. What, what three ones are you most wanting to watch? UNC at Wake Forest. I mean, Wake Forest bought its team, right? I, can't, I mean, this is, this is just an out. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to see the five first-rounders that Forbes is going to trot out on the floor on Tuesday night. <laughs> Winston-Salem. Yes. So epic. The blue hairs are going to be going wild courtside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Texas, Kansas on Monday is going to be fantastic. Um, inside Allen Fieldhouse, Texas is leading the Big 12 right now. Kansas has lost, as we mentioned, four of its last five in, in conference play. Has never done that under, under Bill Self. But a uh, chance to come back and totally redeem itself. I like them in this spot. That will be a fantastic game. Texas has been very frisky in spots where I thought they would probably lay down and it would be acceptable to do so this season. So um, that's going to be one that I am really interested in watching. (sighs) Arkansas, Kentucky on Tuesday is another really good one. Kentucky, well, Arkansas has won... four in a row in sec play quietly um they lost in the sec big 12 challenge on the road by three points to a really good baylor team that is coming along uh kentucky though has won two straight it has won one two three four five six of its last seven the only loss being at home to kansas really interested in watching that game obviously it should be a pretty close one and uh, has some some bracket implications, some SEC implications, and also the Oscar Sheboy storyline that uh, continues to kind of linger. Oscar's been very productive, but uh, yeah, if you're talking about like possibly sitting the reigning national player of the year, like that's uh, that's a storyline I'm following. So uh, should be a pretty good game. Tuesday is Tuesday's insane. Tuesday's absolutely loaded. Um, which uh, which direction are you going? I mean, there's there's so many games on the slate Monday and Tuesday. Uh, my top three over the next two days, um, I would say Texas, Kansas, yeah, Marquette, UConn. UConn got a push from Georgetown, um, and Marquette continues to impress. That would be number two. And then, and there's just so many good ones. Mm-hmm. I think I'd go. 
You know, NC State's good at Virginia. I don't know. There's a lot. That may that may might be my sneaky third one. Wolfpack continue to uh, to show themselves well. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how they do going into what'll be a tough tough game. It, it's Virginia doesn't lose two in a row all that often, particularly in league play. So we'll uh, so we'll wait and see on that. Thanks to everyone for checking in on the pod. If you watched early on the Sunday episode, we appreciate you. If you saw this hop into your phone feed midway through the afternoon on Sunday and was like, oh, wow, damn, okay. Well, we like to give you a little surprise here. Next Sunday is the Super Bowl. We have not yet determined, but you might get a repeat of this. We'll see. Um, but thank you so much. And again, you'll have another bonus episode coming from you with the mailback special on Monday. Kyle Boone, I'm Matt Norlander. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.